Hey everybody, it's a, another Compare and Contrast episode of FUDS on Film. This one's been put on ice for emergencies. If it were down to me, I can tell you I would have expedited this baby into your feeds earlier, but that's what I'm up against, people, because you know, I know, you deserve monkeys. I don't actually have monkeys for you tonight. I've got gorillas. Same thing. Does it matter? Let's not split hairs. Don't be an idiot about it. We are going to bring you some monkey action tonight because I think the last time that we spoke about monkeys or simians in any capacity whatsoever was probably Robinson Crusoe on Mars. <laughs> Which and delivered who the goods, to be fair. It delivered the goods, but let's be honest, I think, you know, I think we're running on fumes now. And with <laughs> the year it's been, you're not going to be listening to this in 2020, but you're probably still going to be recovering from 2020 whenever you listen to this. <laughs> so with that in mind, we're giving you a double bill of monkey madness tonight. Am I good to you? Yeah. Am I a great guy? <laughs> don't mention it. It's all right. I like you. I don't want anything in return. Let's talk about Gorillas in the Mist and Congo, two of the most significant simian movies, I think, <laughs> Ever. <laughs> Sorry, there was something amusing you drew, or you something amusing me? Oh, oh well, now I've been nice, Jake. Um, so yes, anyway, never mind him. Uh, we're going to be talking to you about cinematic masterpieces tonight, guys. Thanks very much. Um, so I think, without further ado, which one of you guys has prepared anything for Gorillas in the Mist? Me. Yay, Scott! It is. He's won the lottery of life. Scott, what's that Gorillas in the Mist all about? Well, this is a tale of occupational therapist turned naturalist Diane Fossey, played by Sigourney Weaver, who moved from Kentucky to the Congo to survey and study endangered mountain gorillas, a six-month sojourn that extended to her life's work. Arriving in the Congo, she enlists a local tractor. A, a local tractor, not a lo- <laughs> local tractor. That <laughs> made for a more interesting film. Uh, John O'Mariah... Milugu's Sabargi, to set up a camp and track down the few remaining guerrilla families, eventually meeting with success, only for the civil war to catch up with her and see them booted out of the Congo. Ultimately, she's undeterred and starts again in Rwanda, where she's able not only to catalogue the guerrillas, but to study and document their behaviour more closely than anyone had previously dared to, including very up-close and personal interactions. It's not without difficulty, particularly when her efforts to conserve the gorillas and their habitations clash with local poachers, but the profile of her work is raised when National Geographic send photographer Bob Campbell, played by Brian Brown, to document her work. The two become lovers, although we're left with the impression that Diane has married mainly to her work. It does rather skip quickly through the 20 years of dedicated work, during which, if the film is to believe, she became rather possessive of the gorillas and the territory, although mm. to her... Uh, through to her untimely murder in 1985, an ultimately unsolved crime, although one with some fairly obvious suspects. Uh, we're left in no doubt about the remarkable re- nature of Fosse's work and character, and Anna Hamilton Phelan's script and Michael Apte's direction back up a highly commendable turn from Weaver. The production is also pretty accomplished. On a first viewing, I certainly couldn't really tell where the real gorilla's end and the prosthetics begin, uh, at least without going on to consider the insurance implications of what's happening on the screen. <laughs> um, <laughs> It is, I suppose, a question raised by every biopic. Is the subject's work or the subject more important or perhaps just more interesting? And I'm not 100% sure the creator set quite the right balance here. Certainly, it seems to be more focused on the work from the middle hour and change and doesn't quite give as much of an insight into Fosse's character as I'd prefer. It's not really all that noticeable until the backstretch, but as she starts throwing around possessives, my gorillas, my mountain, to, you know, the people actually native to that country, uh, there's certainly room for a bit more probing than the film seemed to want to get into, just settling back into the earlier established she's strong-willed explanation and then showing us some more gorillas. 
which, to be fair, works well enough to make this a worthwhile and worthy watch and a fitting tribute to a remarkable character. I don't know if this had quite the cultural impact it deserves outside of Ice Cube's Now I Gotta Wetcha, but if, like me, you've passed on this until now, it's well worth tracking down. Gorillas, gorillas report to, the, report mist. to the mist. <laughs> uh, it's, the, it's the why in Fosse that makes all the difference, isn't it? <laughs> Pause for laughter. <laughs> Poacher, 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 gorilla hands. Who's um, who's stubbing cigars out in a gorilla's hand anyway? Is that not going to stink of burning flesh every time you do it? <laughs> I did wonder yes. about that. Brian Brown's character is the only person given any sort of actual insight into the economy mm. of the region in the film, mm. which uh, that needed to be massively expanded. But he's suggesting that these um, these people are very poor and that mm. they're making a living this way and selling like, his hypothetical doctor in Miami who has a gorilla hand ashtray. But I did wonder, like, who... Has one of those. I can well, maybe see the the actual gorilla head as a trophy, sort of. But the the other thing is like certainly a, Harry a, Potter, a, certainly <laughs> a rad Halloween costume. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I make I make light of it. But no, you're right. There's a, 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 so Scott, you've you've pretty much covered my main problem with this film, which is there is never any understanding of what's driving Diane Fossey. What's informing her passion? What is my motivation? (laughs) All right, Michael Apted, what's my motivation? Uh, What's my motivation, Michael Apted? What is the, uh, (laughs) what is the conflict at the core of Fossey? And I'm being, I'm obviously being facetious with the last one, but the point is I've got absolutely no emotional connection to Weaver's character in this film whatsoever. And then there's a point in the last half hour where, as you say, Scott, she suddenly starts coming over all Lord of the Flies and um, it's clearly intended to be a dramatic pivot point and maybe the dramatic pivot point of the entire movie. And it falls flat in its face because, frankly, I just don't care about her. And I haven't liked her since earlier in the film when she's threatened to kill a clearly terrified child who was roped into hunting gorillas by adults with machetes. So (laughs) I would... Obviously, I would I would want to state very clearly that I don't condone what happened to Diane Fossey, but if this film is in any way reflective of her methods in, quote, conservation, then I'm guessing we would probably all agree that she very much made her own bed in that respect. Yes, I, I had yes. a very similar feeling. I did have a strong emotional connection with Diane Fossey, Craig, but it was strong antipathy mm. uh, because I did not like her at all. She's a moron, which is never going to please me at all. Uh, mm. Apparently, the important thing she took away from Louis Leakey's talk at the start was appendix, which was so important she had to write appendix down inside a book. The only note she yes. took to it. Which I assume <laughs> she writes a question she mark next to it. Well, she follows up when she meets Leakey again in Rwanda. Um, or no, where does it begin? Zaire, isn't it? No, where is I it? Believe it's, it's the Congo. Where it, it, was, it begins yeah. in the Congo, and then she has to Move cross to the border Rwanda, to Rwanda, yeah. doesn't she? Um, but Congo is Zaire because it's not Democratic Republic of Congo. Ah, uh, I've forgotten. Um, oh, anyway, right, turns out there, says, I've left all of my things behind. <laughs> I've left my uh, my boyfriend and my appendix. So I'm assuming because she'd seen that somebody had an emergency appendectomy. Um, mm-hmm. had the appendicitis when they were there before she had her appendix removed electively and I yep. assume that that's made the tie back to the beginning of the film but but, um, I'm, but thinking, we'll never know. I'm thinking that if you're if you're prepared to do that and you're prepared to get surgery to take your appendix like, you're probably not going to write that down because you might forget it like, mm. passport, keys, money appendix, damn it's still inside me <laughs> the, inf- the infuriating thing about this film, though, is that it's it's faffs about and wastes a whole lot of time of like, 
oh, look at me smiling next to obviously real gorillas. This is bound to get me an Oscar or a Golden Globe at least. Look at me being all natural around these wild animals. People will appreciate the effort that's been put into this performance because I have had to sit next to gorillas and get to know gorillas and make sure that gorillas are not going to stave my head in as I give this performance. (laughs) And it's all fine and well, but you have... So much padding there, and you're given, you know, Brian Brown's, our relationship with Brian Brown is given completely short thrift, uh, thrift, shrift, sorry, and um, then there's the only other sort of interesting dynamic she really could potentially have is with, uh, no, sorry, there are two potentially interesting dynamics that she could have that are also given absolutely short shrift, and one of them is with uh, Sembagari. Um, who's who's her tracker? Yep. Who's a really interesting guy who basically bluffs his way into the job, <laughs> and you think, okay, this this guy's cool, um, and he plays such a minor role and is of such little import to the plot that he might as well not even be there. And then the other one is the local politician. He's like the local governor or something like that. The one who she works sort of the, starts the Ministry of Interior. Yeah, yes, the guy who works for the Ministry of the Interior, and I cannot for the life of me remember his character's name. Um, but she has Macara, she, I think. she has an interesting uh, dynamic with him quite a fractious one to begin with where she you get the impression that right okay she's beginning to fathom out that she's going to have to think politically if she wants to get ahead and then a big title card comes up saying five years later (laughs) and she again is having some sort of um not quite so abrasive uh, conversation with this guy but she's clearly learned something about that and two things there first of all she throws that completely out the window when she goes she goes tropo and starts threatening people as you say scott and claiming the mountain is hers and the gorillas are hers <laughs> so what was that lesson you learned and also you know that five years that you've just skipped over that's probably the most interesting part of this story <laughs> yes the bit where you've successfully had no poachings within 10 months as she tells our new students when they arrive you know yes how, how did you get to that you don't just gloss over that and now time for something interesting oh wait black screen five years later <laughs> and that was the amazing thing that happened yeah. anyway look at these gorillas and how i play with them and it's uh, just infuriating and it's bizarre to recount quite the fuss that there was around this film in critical circles because it was nominated for a lot of stuff yes um and i'm sure it felt very compelling at the time but certainly now with hindsight it's it's absolute fluff as far as um as far as being any kind of study either of character or situation or the goal of conservation it's so um it's so fly away it's uh it's like a fart on the wind i know and again it's <laughs> They, they play very differently now. Not that they wouldn't necessarily get made now, but there was certainly mm. more uproar. But the fact that you know it focuses around this white woman in the middle of this African country. Oh, the whole white savior thing. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, and then also uh, her choice use of language when she loses her patience yes, with uh, Sam Magari later one on. Of the things I was about to mention, Craig. Exactly. Yeah. So these these people who have spent the last six years doing nothing but carrying heavy luggage and other supplies around at her beck and call, and she decides to sh- <laughs> she throws a rattle out the pram and immediately denounces them as uh, was it lazy wogs. Yes. <laughs> yes. Hideous. Brilliant. I, I, I was coming on to that. Right. So. I, uh, having very briefly read something about this afterwards, I hadn't seen this film before. I've like, always been aware of it, I think, but um, mm. I'd never actually seen it. But I very briefly read something, and honest, I didn't care for this film at all, so I didn't do anything more than skim Wikipedia. It's all I mm-hmm. felt it deserved. But it mentioned, I think perhaps Roger, a reference to Roger Ebert's review, mentioned that she had some sort of mental issues, mental health issues. And like, yeah, if the film's got them in there, they're very well hidden. Um, mm. silly. it's not portrayed like that which would have been interesting, it would have made her 
potentially more sympathetic Carticelli, more interesting, because she's barely a character. And starts off, as I said, like the appendix thing. Probably should forget that. She gets really annoyed with Brian Brown's character when he turns up and says, I'm going to take photographs, you know, for National Geographic, the magazine that's paying you to go and work with the gorillas. Mm-hmm. It's not mm. like they're known for photographs or anything, you know? Mm. And then, she, obviously, she obviously clearly also does not understand that profile is a part of her work. Yes. And if she wants to continue her work, <laughs> she needs profile and she needs yeah. funding. And that's well before she's taken possession of these and created her own little fiefdom in the mountains. Mm. But then it moves on, and that, and when I lost all interest and sympathy for the character at all was when she started threatening that child, that mm-hmm. poor child, terrified child. I'm like, that's not on. Yeah, I'm going to threaten him with a noose, and then I'm going to pretend to be a witch, which yeah. I know is something that he culturally believes in deeply. <laughs> yeah, the, the poor. That well done for that kid for the acting, but that's um, yeah. That's just a horrendous scene. And then she moves on to sign those horrible words at her workers. And when somebody's really angry, like it can go two ways. One time you can somehow pick words just that you intend to hurt someone or mm-hmm. your anger, it betrays how you really feel. That is yes. very clearly the second there. Yeah, right? it's the mask coming off. Yeah, because she follows that up after um, Sam Bagari says to her, please don't speak to them like that. They work for mm-hmm. you and they've worked for you for a long time. She says, I pay their wages, I can do what I want, basically. Like, whoa. Yeah, well, that's not a problematic attitude yeah. at all. And then yeah. even and then, if, Sorry, on you go. No, you Andrew. finish. Okay. No, I was going to say, and the, 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 uh, fortunately, the one thing I appreciated about that conversation was his response to her, Yeah, which is that, of course, I believe in what you're doing, but today I'm disappointed in you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or the words to that effect. But she says that, right? and then like, okay, so you've clearly betrayed exactly how you feel about these people. But, mm. but... If maybe I see, you see that you've done something wrong, you can try to make yourself better because otherwise what's the point of like trying to educate people about that if they don't think they can change? Yeah. But if the scene ends with her realising what she's said and, um, and apologise, but no, that scene ends with her being upset and saying Bagari comforting her. So the scene, in fact, is all about yeah. her. It's like, no. Um, and then what happens with those guys from that um, that tribe they've hacked off bits of that ape and that's it's horrific and i can't see why she's upset and it's a horrible thing but beyond the bit i mentioned earlier but what brian brown said earlier when he's talking about his hypothetical miami doctor mm. there was absolutely no acknowledgement in the film at all of the economics uh, and the mm. fact that these are not wealthy people Right, it's hinted at, but it's not explored. Yeah, because well, I mean, you can see the fact that those people have threadbare clothes that have been patched mm. many, many times, full of clothes, and at least two of the three or four times you see them, they're wearing the same clothes, suggesting to me that they don't have any other clothes. Right, yeah. these are not wealthy people, and you say well, that's horrible to to eat gorillas and they're endangered, but the sort of the poacher side of it and the trophies for westerners is a separate part. But the fact mm. that people there might eat it. They can't just pop down to Sainsbury's, you know. No. Yeah. Like these people don't have money. Then this is part. Of, this is how they feed themselves and their families. But there was absolutely no acknowledgement in the film at all. Well, it's no, no, there is. It's, it's it's mentioned as a topic of conversation. I think at least twice. But again, it's 
like a fart in the wind. It's, it's nothing is ever nothing ever comes of those those occasions where it is brought up that there are economic considerations here. It's just it's like okay, cool story, right? I'm going to go back to patronising these these natives who clearly need my help to sort out this mess they've got themselves into. Yeah. And then, do you know the other thing I fear about this film, guys, is that see when you're talking about the the tribe and and the kid being terrified and how convincing it was, I'm not entirely convinced that this film being made by white filmmakers in the mid-80s didn't just essentially rope in these local people and do, not again, nothing to help them and probably nothing to nothing to benefit the local economy. They probably swooped in and thought, brilliant, cheap labour. And Michael Apt has probably just gone, look at that boy over there. He looks suitably terrified. He's got no idea what's going on. Sigourney, drag him over here and threaten him with death. <laughs> yeah, um, I, he's, prob- I, he's probably genuinely frightened. The thought did actually cross my mind, and when I, while I was watching, and when I was saying about it, Craig, was that actually, you know, there, there was, I have this feeling that there's maybe some truth into that. Um, yeah, I doubt it's. I doubt it's as extreme as the example I've given, but I, but yeah, I but can't I know, imagine like, that there hasn't been some vague amount of exploitation going on. Oh yeah, of that kid, like not maybe not telling them what was going to happen, and then putting yeah. that mask on it. It's a creepy mask. It certainly is. Um, and yeah, there's also the dishes always have problems. With. Like, they're to be fair, it's not as bad as some other films I've seen in, in various um, similar regions. But they're suggesting you know like, their belief in witchcraft is really kind of mm. um, primitive and stupid. Like, it's not any different to believing in any sort of god or anything. There's no difference. No, it's just exactly. a different belief. It's, it's not any less stupid. It's still stupid. But um, <laughs> suggesting somehow that it's worse yeah. because it's witchcraft and not. You know, it's not, it's, no less, something. it's not the right kind of superstition. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> it's not organised superstition <laughs> that threatens people with eternal torment. Yes. Uh, um, yeah. So yeah, so she's she's a, a spectacularly unsympathetic character. And then again, I don't condone murder. I don't think that she should have been murdered. But if the, the film seems to be suggesting it's the leader of that group, and mm. if somebody had. This psychological torture of hanging someone up and making them think that you're going to hang them with a noose Kicking the chair out from under them. Yeah. Mm. I'd probably want some revenge. And after, didn't she go and burn their village down? Yeah, she also burned their houses. So, as well as that actual one incident of the the psychological torment, (laughs) she didn't burn the house. She's kind of got it coming. She's not getting any sympathy for me in this film. Let's be honest, it's it's very much a declaration of war. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And also, you've got to remember, too, that the the film, again, the the tiniest whiff of it at one point, or a couple of points, but not only is she doing this, She's this white Westerner coming to a country that's been messed up for 200 years by white Westerners. Like, nah. mm-hmm. You know, it's like, you're not very clever for someone who's um, claiming to be some great authority in anything. You seem to be completely oblivious to anything else. Yeah. What yeah. this situation needs is more interfering white people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she seems to have no cultural sensitivity at all. But listen, we're getting super SJW over here. We're probably turning people off. It's great. Yeah. Down with the monkeys. They had it coming. And so did that kid, frankly. Scott, did you have anything else that you wanted to add? It's still better than Congo. (laughs) (laughs) I see, I don't know. Kind of technically, yes, but I enjoyed the Congo more, but that's more because I just hated it in a conventional way, and that's opposed to hating the main character. Hating it for proper reasons, yeah. I knew you were kind of on my side, Drew. (laughs) I'm I'm watching Congo, and I'm... Instead, I'm more focused on 
hating the things that are wrong with it, which is, to be clear, is everything, <laughs> rather than because I hated the central character so much. Uh, everything and also nothing. But listen, I'll, <laughs> I'll point out how wrong you are in a minute. It's a, a beautiful segue anyway, Drew. Thank you for setting that up so nicely. Um, Congo then, 1995. <laughs> What's <laughs> God, I've been waiting for this for so long. <laughs> What's better than making friends with a gorilla? Making friends with a talking gorilla, of course. Um, in, in the wake of Jurassic Park, obviously, author Michael Crichton was suddenly hot property again. Uh, and it was only a matter of time before more of his properties were optioned by Hollywood. And sure enough, in 1995, we got Congo. Fancying itself quite the rollicking adventure, it follows an expedition to the rainforests of the titular country in search of blue diamonds, mega space lasers, and an opportunity to rehome a gorilla. Who can talk? Laura Linney plays Dr. Karen Ross, a scientist working for a telecommunications company who seek the rare blue diamond for its properties, which turn normal lasers, obviously, into improbably powerful mega lasers, capable of cutting down trees at a flick of the wrist, because, you know, telecoms. <laughs> Ross is... <laughs> It's the like, use case scenario. No idea how that was supposed to help telecoms. <laughs> the use case scenario is obvious, Drew. Um, anywho, Ross's ex-fiancé has a is it fiance? the five G masts to stop the spread of coronavirus? <laughs> yeah, actually, actually, yes, that's exactly how they should have been deployed. It was twenty-five years ahead of its time. Uh, Ross's ex-fiancé has just gone missing on a diamond search deep in the Congo, and his father played beautifully by Joe Don Baker, the boss of said telecoms company, is totally keen to totally find his son and totally not interested in totally the diamonds totally. So off Ross goes on a promise that the diamonds are of secondary concern, totally, dragging her, <laughs> dragging with her Herkimer Homolka, Tim Curry, a globetrotting Romanian philanthropist, and Dr. Peter Elliott. Dylan Walsh, a talky gorilla expert who wants to take his talky gorilla Amy back to the jungle for a better sleep. Trust me, <laughs> it's better not to ask. Um, upon reaching the Congo, their party is further expanded by Captain Monroe Kelly, uh, Ernie Hudson, who will be acting as their guide, helping them negotiate angry ghost tribes, heat-seeking missiles, Tony Pants, and an uncredited Delroy Lindo as a rogue army captain who gets really upset if you do and don't eat his <laughs> sesame cake. And this is before we're introduced to the grey murder gorillas who live in the volcano temple. So, let me get this out of the way now. If you hadn't guessed it from my summary, you should know that Congo is an absolute mess of a film, and everyone involved frankly needs a good slap. Director Frank Marshall, whose better work has been... <laughs> certainly been evidenced via his role as a producer, had at least directed Arachnophobia and Alive prior to this, so you'd be forgiven some modicum of surprise at just how bad this movie is. Nothing that happens on screen makes any sense. Every second line of dialogue is clumsy exposition, and no two actors appear to understand that they're performing in the same movie. <laughs> at least with Tim Curry, you know what to expect. <laughs> 
<laughs> but even by his own standards, he's pushing the boat out here, prone to taking his jeweled ring out of his pocket just to stare at it <laughs> and gun. <laughs> How much double crossing he is no doubt contemplating. <laughs> his character introduces himself as, quote, formerly of Romania, finally free from the reins of Ceausescu. <laughs> A freedom he uses to act precisely as he does in every other role I've ever seen him in. Which is to say, like a particularly ripe ham. <laughs> Dylan Walsh didn't get a lot of work after this. <laughs> and it's hard. It's not hard to see why. The last time I saw a blanket this wet was when I forgot to bring the bedclothes in off the washing line one night last year when the UK had those really bad rainstorms. Simeon and Simp, Walsh spends most of the movie floating around ineffectually with his talking ape like a fart in a spacesuit, seemingly oblivious to the fact that the reason he can't get funding for his research is that he's the only person in the room not to notice he's hanging around with a child in a gorilla costume <laughs> and points to anyone who can tell me what accent Ernie Hudson is supposed to be doing. Is it Mae West? <laughs> <It's> <laughs> this film is Bring Your Accent to Work Day, isn't it? <laughs> yes, your your worst accent. Your accent you got from the thrift store. <laughs> it's uh, it's Lenny who really gets the shitty end of the stick, though, as the only member of the main cast <laughs> who entered the room with some discernible talent. Um, it's truly painful to watch our scenes with Joe Don Baker early in the movie. Two accomplished thespians who have proven their virtue on the boards, choking on lines such as, Tell me you're sending me to find your son and not for the diamonds. <laughs> At least she gets to cut some unconvincing angry gorillas in half with a badass laser and then watch even more unconvincing confused gorillas inexplicably throw themselves into lava for no apparent reason. <laughs> Yay! And the damned thing is this. For the first hour of this movie, I'm having a whale of a time because it's batshit bonkers and so bad it's good. Most of the first hour is on par with a mid-2000s Asylum Studios production, both in the value in... <laughs> both in the value on screen and the choice in performances. But I had a total epiphany this viewing at the point where Grant Heslov's character utters the line, this is pure Kafka. Now, <laughs> Kafka it most assuredly is not, but watching Marshall's choice of camera angles and the performances of Heslov and his interrogator, I suddenly became aware that this movie is actually trying to be humorous a fact I'm confident is borne out minutes later by a line I'd never noticed before when Delroy Lindo's character leans against the fourth wall and announces everybody in my country is so afraid of being seen in an American movie being cruel to a gorilla that's a hell of a line if you care to stop and think about it and I am as grateful for it as I am the obsession with sesame cakes and a gorilla who knows how to smoke a cigar and adopts an aloof affectation as she does don't inhale Amy it's a real shame the last hour of the, <laughs> the last half hour of this film is just agonisingly bad as opposed to genuinely insane because it would make Congo one of the best stoned watches imaginable can I recommend Congo? Jesus Christ on a hoverboard, no, I cannot. Do I think you should watch it? No comment. I somehow wrote these two into it, so my work here is very much done. And it's of no, consum it's of no consequence to me if you do. But if you do, I ask you first to pour yourself a large one and dream of me, my loves. Uh, don't you just love Heisenberg's uncertainty cake? <laughs> <laughs> This film is hot garbage. <laughs> from everything from its 
monkey. Uh, and we're obviously going to use the word monkey because it's considerably funnier than ape, but they all know the difference, so hold it. Yes. The monkey that talks and also is complete, apparently aware of the concept of time. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and also is weighs nothing when it's convenient for the plot and then it's really heavy when it's convenient for the plot so that's quite a useful skill to have and they should probably Mm. try marketing that to the slimming community a mass shifting monkey yes (laughs) I could have done with basically a thousand percent more Delroy Lindo Delroy Lindo I I mentioned this to you a couple of days ago when we were speaking about preparing for this episode why I feel I don't think on paper it is, but any time I've watched this, I see his character, I think, that's got to be racist. Given how bad all the other accents are <laughs> and just um, and just how ill thought through everything else is, honestly, I, if it is, it's unintended. Keeping with the theme of the, the piece, what, yes. What yeah. I found was a bit more racist was the uh, tribal black people in white face, which I think is a, a terrible <laughs> cultural appropriation that we shouldn't be doing. And, <laughs> and immediately so you mean after the that, ghost tribe, Scott? <laughs> Yes, the, the ghost, ghost tribe. tribe. That explains that. <laughs> and then after that, um, immediately after after they'd um, shouted the soul of Taylor Nichols back into his body, he mm-hmm. then has to pretend to be upset and so shocked by the most gormless monkey in the world <laughs> staring at him. <laughs> that's, like, that's an <laughs> acting challenge again. no one should have to do, then he dies again. Poor guy. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for bringing me back. Oh, a monkey. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, God, he's gone again. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's weird to... There are bits that, like, it feels almost like the film's trying to make comments and uh, commentary. Like, like the one, this, the first one Does you it? mentioned, is the, <laughs> oh, like, is the the, the Del Valendo line about the um, people being afraid to be seen um, hurting a film, hurting a monkey in a, an American film. It's like that. It feels like you're trying to say something there, and then. Um, I think that was just an attempt at humour, man. Maybe. I, I <laughs> fully expected him to turn around and just wink, wink at the camera. <laughs> but then later on when the ghost tribe appears and Ernie Hudson says that um, they can't, they're laughing because I said I'm the chief because I'm a black man, I should be carrying stuff in my head. Yeah. Again, it could have just been a, a failed attempt at humour. This film's a failed attempt at film. Um, <laughs> and then, I don't know, just the whole thing is just so... Bad. You can see that they all think they're making the next Jurassic Park. Yeah, I'm not so sure about that. <laughs> no. this, like, this is a dumpster fire, but sometimes it's nice just to watch the flames for flickering, right? Um, everyone in this, I thought, was acting like they thought this was a big pile of <laughs> and acting up. Apart, curiously, from Linny, who comes across as the worst actor in it by dint of being the best, because he's the only one that's mm-hmm. actually trying to give a performance that would fit in a film, whereas everyone else is just bouncing off the walls. <laughs> everyone else Absolute is just going... It's like everyone else has given up. They gave up on day one. Even I mean, after Linny, the best performance is probably, what, Bruce Campbell? And he's, he's Bruce ready. Campbell? Yes. See... Here's the thing, you this and this is my point. I think so. We've got three different opinions here because I think this movie was aiming for funny a lot of the time. It was going to be a Saturday matinee adventure movie, right? But, but with yeah. a with a crazy budget. But they're like, yeah, we know those kinds of movies are silly. So this is why it's got humour in it. But yeah. the humour doesn't come across at all. Yeah, I, I think I agree with that. I mean, and from what I've read, I mean, this is it's a B movie adventure. It's a B movie concept, even from Crichton's mm. original stuff. So that's clearly what they're going for. It's the the, the old B movie concept with an A movie cast that's put in a Z level performance, and it just none yeah. of it works. And of course, all so the is, effects is are garbage. Is Lenny the mistake then? Is Lenny the mistake because unfortunately her character grounds this in reality, where really they should have just had someone else going. Oh, yeah, I don't think in her place. Yeah. 
I don't think you can put Laura Linney next to uh, Ernie Hudson and have yeah. that make any sort of sense. No. It's, and it, if you put Bruce Campbell in a film, you're making a statement. Yeah, well, if you put Bruce Campbell in a film and barely have Bruce Campbell in the film, you've made a mistake, unless it's just a simple cameo like the the first Sam Raimi Spider-Man. So they needed mm. more Bruce Campbell. I think, yeah. I think we should have swapped Linney and Campbell. Because uh, yeah. if, if you do that and have Campbell do his normal stick next to everyone else in it, this would probably be a hell of a lot more fun. Get yeah. Sam yeah. Raimi to direct it as well. Why not? Yeah, that makes Laura, Linney does, Laura Linney does stand out she, because yeah. she's a professional. I suppose she's too professional. Yes, she, that's a brilliant idea. Make her a cameo at the start as the biggest name in it, and Bruce Campbell's character goes in, and all of a sudden you've got the mummy, but set in the Congo, yes. and, and it probably works a lot better. That's that's actually a pretty that's a pretty good observation, actually. Also, what they should do is take out Ernie Hudson, basically swap Ernie Hudson and Joey Pants, and have Joey Pants <laughs> leading the um, expedition because he seems to get it yes. as well, and is obviously considerably better than Ernie Hudson. Yeah, that's it. He obviously fancied like, oh, okay, I'm going to be able to hop out. Because where, where did actually they film the majority of this? I strongly suspect that Joey Pants signed up because he was going to get a cheque for a hundred grand and a chance to just take a holiday in Kenya or something while he was there. He's like, yeah, sure, I'm, I'm, I'm up for seeing the African uh, continent. That's culturally a, a lovely opportunity to yes. sign me up. What do I have to do? Lean out of a plane and just make some weird comments and just like randomly swear? for no reason in a film that could otherwise have been a PG-13 <laughs> oh no it was a PG-13 sorry it's a 12 isn't it yeah there's a couple of instances of just of the F-bomb in this that really stick out it's really weird really weird but anyway yeah I can't even remember them but honestly I think since I finished watching this a couple of hours ago that I've more just been wondering what the 12,000 channel chip is and how that makes it a gun able to explode satellites and I'm very confused by this film <laughs> hmm. yes. It's a, I don't know, it's a power amplifier diamond somehow, so... Yeah, what? well, this is it, obviously. it's. I mean, it seems more like the solution to the world's energy problems than it does yes. a telecommunications tool. Is it supposed to be Is it supposed to be something ridiculous to do with, like, oh, line of sight laser communication or something? Because then when she does point it at a satellite, it blows it up. It seems a bit, I'm wondering why they had a laser gun at all. Yes. That seems... Almost secondary to the original plan that somehow lasers were going to make their satellites not be obsolete yeah. in three years. And no, it's, this is not a very clever film. I'm sure it's got something to do with line of sight, but then it's kind of undermined by the fact that for some reason the form factor of it is a handheld weapon that people can wave about <laughs> in an incredibly dangerous fashion. It's got no safety mechanisms at all. The way but tell me again like how this that... is going to be fitted to a satellite. <laughs> Shut up! I'm too busy cutting down half the rainforest, you fool. Man alive. If nothing else we've learned, don't let gorillas guard your mind. Yes. Because they'll go bad. They'll just go bad. And look very pallid. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, understandably um, upset, I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I, even the production design in this film is very confused, though, because they're talking about King Solomon, you know, the ancient king of Judea, mm. um, coming across to Eastern Africa and Central Eastern Africa, and then creating this city that looks like it's from like Cambodia or something. It's very Asian-looking mm. in styling, but then mm. with Egyptian hieroglyphics, with the Judean <laughs> king. What? Did you Michael just, Crichton like, does his research. It's very, very strange. And then it's, I was watching it to thinking, you know, their temple... It's, it doesn't look as much like a studio set as I expected. You know, the lighting is a bit better than I expected there. And the the walls, I'll believe, are rock. And then a, an explosion starts and suddenly it's 
there's like bits of polystyrene coming out of the ground that would have put the 1960s Star Trek to shame. Like, oh, <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> do you know what? I've, do you know what I've just realised? I've just realised this whole movie happens because Joe Don Baker's character has the same experience with the satellite as I had last night and this morning with my phone upgrade. <laughs> you haven't upgraded what? your satellite in a while, Joe Don Baker. We've got an offer for you. You need a blue diamond, Joe Don Baker. It's free. It's nine pounds, but it's free. And you need to send someone to come and collect it. And the mistake I made was not sending an expedition party to the Vodafone shop. <laughs> and now you're going to get killed by a gorilla. That's uh, it. There you go. And meanwhile, my wife's pleading with me, tell me you're going to the shop for your son and not a phone upgrade, Craig. <laughs> See? Can we also talk about Jerry Goldsmith's score, which um, no. is mostly unmemorable, apart from the beginning where he's basically trying to make it sound like Alien. Can we talk about the cheapest looking title card ever on a film that had like a $50 million budget or something? It's like, oh, cool, your first shot of using Adobe After Effects and you did this. <laughs> Horrendous from start to finish, but the first hour is a treat. It's hard to take your eyes or ears off most of this film, I found. Um, <laughs> exactly my point. I, I certainly don't like it. I will never watch it again, but I can't say I wasn't entertained by it. It is exactly. Nuts. <laughs> you can't say that you're mad that I essentially made you watch this. <laughs> I would like to, but that would be dishonest of me. I exactly. I apologise for the last 40 <laughs> minutes. I truly do. Well, here's the thing. I've seen Jimmy. I think in many ways it's worse than Gorillas in the Mist, but it's considerably more entertaining. Yes. 100%. And that's the Which point of why wrong. I lobbied for this episode, and that is my goddamn gift to you and to the listeners. Thank you and good night. Is that enough? Pretty much, yes. Have we suffered enough? <laughs> As usual, I don't Scott, know, tell, you tell us, Craig, have we suffered enough? <laughs> yes, yes, you have. You have. You've paid your penance. Uh, Scott, if the, good people want to get in, if, the, if the good people want to get in touch with us, how can they do that again? You could do it through the medium of emails at podcast.fudsonfilm.com or you could do it on the Twitters at FudsOnFilm. Awesome. Uh, yes. Until next time, take care of yourself and each other. Goodbye. Show me your leadership qualities. 